Welcome to the Renew Northwest podcast, a ministry of Christ Church Bellingham. Renew Northwest is dedicated to helping the church in the Pacific Northwest be rooted in the gospel, wise in the scriptures, and equipped to engage the culture for Christ. Today's episode is a reading from a recent Renew Northwest article by Pastor Nate Walker. Find this and other articles about theology and the Christian life at RenewNorthwest.com. Hey everybody, Pastor Nate Walker here. I uh, hope you're all doing well. And uh, I'm going to be reading to you now uh, ex- a topic I'm excited about, uh, teen dating. And I've got five teens myself and uh, and we got a lot of teens in the church. So I uh, hope this is helpful for uh, you parents out there and, and and teenagers out there. So here it is. We had a speaker this past fall for the high school retreat at Trinity Classical School came from a a church community with a very clear culture around dating, and he came with lots of practical insights to share with our youth. I was grateful for his clarity and his boldness, and I was glad our youth could benefit from his teaching. It also became clear to me at that point that we need our own culture of teen dating. I know many parents are working through these questions right now, and if we don't shape our culture, each member will search out models somewhere else for better or worse, and in some ways, communities need a shared culture around this kind of thing, because in every case, in terms of dating, there's always two families involved. And uh, many in our church will want a, a clear set of rules about what's allowed and what is not, but we have to be careful about that kind of thing because it's easy to create a kind of legal legalism around this topic, and we have to resist that. At the same time, parents need practical instruction, and what we need instead of legalism is biblical principles. So that's what I'm going to give here. I'm, I'm going to sprinkle in some practical examples of how our family has applied some of these principles. My hope is that it gives some practical tools for you. And if you are a parent and entering into the teen years, my strongest advice is to find older believers who have children, who have uh, honored the Lord through their dating and into marriage, and then ask them, what did you do? And then I would find them and then emulate them. One note to start. Some might wonder, what is the difference between dating and courtship? There are different definitions of these. We have not used the language of courtship as much, though its key elements you will find below, mainly the father's involvement for daughters and the the goal of marriage and dating. There is a lot of overlap in the different terms. In our family, the word dating means that you go on dates alone. That seemed, We thought that seemed like a reasonable definition. Dating means you go on dates. And it doesn't happen before you are 17. Uh, dating also includes some physical contact, holding hands, putting your arms around each other, and, um, and being exclusive, uh, meaning that you have... Uh, you've told, you know, a couple have told each other that they like one another being exclusive. We've called that having a thing. So that could be kind of before dating has started, you know, they have a thing. And in a thing, you can spend time together only with each other's family. So it's a way to get to know someone. And this cannot happen before uh, our children are 16. So, um, so, 
Uh, we also strongly emphasize that just because you turn 16, it's not like day one when you turn 16, I need to find someone to have a thing with, and you know it doesn't work like that. Or when you turn 17, I got to start going on dates immediately. That's not what we're talking about. Um, also, if the students are at Trinity Classical School, dating is, uh, is uh, you know, whatever dating rules there are at Trinity Classical School, we say you have to be honoring those and give obedience to school rules. Uh, is is absolutely expected. So um, our oldest daughter just got married this past summer. And while we learned a lot from her uh, dating uh, and courtship with her now husband, their situation won't perfectly match our other children's, nor necessarily yours. So my hope is that parents in their teens would read this article or listen to this podcast together and then discuss a plan for dating and courtship that reflects these principles. So I'm often surprised uh, by the constraints that my own children put on themselves when I just give them the, hey, here's the biblical principles. You need to come up with a plan for it. Um, uh, They come up with plans that are often pretty strict and restrictive for themselves. And so what's most important is that the the parents and the teens are talking to one another openly, honestly, and humbly. Okay, so now we're going to get into what are the principles. Principle number one. And with each principle, I have given a scripture verse to kind of show that this, this principle is rooted in the scripture. So principle number one, pray for your child's future spouse. Pray for your child's future spouse. So uh, you can see this in Proverbs nineteen fourteen. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. The Bible is clear that a godly spouse is a gift from from God, more valuable than any earthly treasure. So our children having godly marriages and godly families will not be ultimately the result of our careful rules around dating, but a gift of grace. So let parents begin at a young age to ask the Lord to shape a spouse for each one of our children. On each of the prayer cards for my children, it says a godly spouse. So I'm, I'm praying for them every week, um, praying for a godly spouse for them. So principle number two, marriage is the goal. Marriage is the goal. Okay, Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Should be obvious that the Bible's vision for a romantic relationship between a man and a woman is only known within the covenant of marriage. Hence, all romantic relationships should only exist if they intend to move in this direction. This is contrary to the habits of our culture, where dating is a recreational activity and most people have many sexual partners over the course of their young life. Even many Christian teens date for fun. We should regard this as unwise. If you do not think you would marry someone, you should not be dating them. Many young people have expressed a concern about this principle, though, as it introduces a kind of intensity into the relationship very early on, especially as Christians move into their 20s. It's fair that two people might want to have coffee a few times before they start down a path towards marriage. Can't I just get to know her a little before I ask her father permission to move towards marriage? In that sense, dating various people may be entirely appropriate for finding a spouse, and that is work that young people should be doing, pursuing a spouse. Young people need it. It's working. you got to get out there and, and 
try to find someone. So, but that is a different kind of dating than recreational dating. And so the starting point is the goal is Christian marriage. Principle number three, Christians must marry Christians. So you should not date a non-Christian. Christians must marry Christians. So you should not date a non-Christian. This is 1 Corinthians 7.39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Though this verse is about widows, Paul makes it clear that Christians should only marry in the Lord. Uh, The warnings against marrying non-Christians are plentiful in the Bible, and sadly, they are often ignored. The sons of God who intermarry with the daughters of men in Genesis 6-2 are not demons and humans sleeping together. These are believing men of the line of Seth, basically the Christians, see Luke uh, 338, and unbelieving women of the world who intermarry. This is the context for great evil in the world. Solomon similarly apostatizes because of his unbelieving wives. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father, First Kings Uh, 11.4. Nehemiah, too, rages against the intermarriage in Jerusalem after the exile, Nehemiah uh, 13.23 and following. Uh, The warnings about Jews not intermarrying with their uh, neighboring nations is not a racial issue. You know, Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, but it was a religious one. Not being equally yoked from 2 Corinthians 6.14 is a reference to the Israelites intermarrying with the Moabites in Numbers, if you see Numbers 25.3 for the language of being yoked there. This is a truth that young people need to internalize way before they fall in love with someone. Once the hormones are pumping, it becomes very easy to rationalize all kinds of things that are unwise. Principle number four, godliness is the most attractive thing in a person. Godliness is the most attractive thing in a person. Okay, Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. By far, the greatest source of happiness in a marriage is character. The world is constantly telling us what is attractive and what we should want in a spouse. Physical beauty is celebrated in the Bible, but it's considered far less important than godliness. What this means for young people is that their own maturity is the most important thing for finding a spouse. Are you in worship every Sunday? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Do you read the Bible on your own and pray? Are you committed to obeying God's word in your life? Doug Wilson's put it this way, be the kind of person that the kind of person you want to marry wants to marry. If you can untie that word knot, uh, this is wisdom for us. Okay, principle number five, the parents should be involved. The parents should be involved. So this is Proverbs 31, one to three. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Much teen dating, even in Christian circles, happens with little input from the parents. 
That could be for a lot of reasons. It could be teens avoiding advice they don't want to hear. But it could also be the parents. Often fathers don't know how to talk about these things, and so they avoid the conversation. Hopefully this article helps you have the conversation. This uh, principle can also be challenging for parents because it raises the question, does your marriage say to your children that you are someone they want to turn to for marriage advice? If the answer is no, then maybe the best example you can give your children is to start giving attention to your own marriage. Maybe it's time to ask a pastor or a counselor for help if your children can't look at your marriage um, as, as something to emulate. If you want your children to have godly marriages, the most important thing you can offer them is an example of one. If they can say, what you have is what I want for myself, then you have a strong voice into their dating decisions. From a young age, we catechize our kids about marriage. I would ask my daughter Lucy, she was probably three years old, uh, questions like these. Dad would ask, what is the most important thing about the person you marry? She says, he loves Jesus. How will you know he loves Jesus? She would say, he goes to church and he reads the Bible and he prays. And I would say, well, how does he treat you? She would say, I would know he loves Jesus because he's kind to me, etc. But these conversations are not just about the limits on dating, but also about skills on how to meet someone. We would do mock first dates with our kids at the dinner table. When I told my son he should ask questions on a date that begin with the words how and what, you know, if, if you... If you ask a question that begins with how or what, it leads to a story and invites a girl to tell a story about herself instead of one word answers like yes or no. But the only question he could think of was, how much do you weigh? And uh, fortunately, that came out in a mock date instead of a real one. With my daughter, Lucy, when she was dating her now husband, Chase, I would go get coffee with Chase. This gave us a tremendous opportunity to get to know one another on a deeper level. Uh, we talked about everything from theology and church life to his physical relationship with Lucy and his plans for the future. We were very open with each other, and this gave a deep sense of trust with each other. It not only gave me confidence in their relationship, but also an opportunity to express some of the things that were important to me about Lucy's future marriage and family. We also read some chapters from A Praying Life uh, by Paul Miller and discussed them. If a man is not sure how to have uh, conversations like this, I'd recommend first just put the conversation on the calendar and then just show up and pray for the Holy Spirit to be present there. The Spirit, prom He promises to be with you. And here are some topics that you could cover during that time. Okay, these are questions Chase and I talked about. What does it mean to be a member of a church? What are your plans for the future and work? Let me share with you some challenges I'm facing in my life right now. Let the relationship be a two-way relationship. What do you think it looks like for you and my daughter to honor the Lord during your dating relationship? What have been some major events and experiences in your life, history, and family? Let me share with you some of mine. One last point on this. The input of other adults is valuable too. A young person should weigh very heavily what uh, godly people whom they trust say about their girlfriends or boyfriends. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. That's Proverbs fifteen twenty two. If you are a young person looking for a spouse, who are the people from whom you are inviting counsel? 
Principle number six, sexual immorality is a serious sin and lust is a serious temptation, okay? Sexual immorality is a serious sin and lust is a serious temptation, okay? Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, you might think this is kind of an intense verse to put in an article like this, but there are many others like it. Sexual immorality is a big deal in the Bible and should not be treated lightly. Fornication, which is sexual activity outside of marriage, is enough to exclude someone from the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Jesus himself connects sexual immorality and, and the threat of hell. This is from Matthew 5, 28 and 29, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Those are the words of Jesus. This does not mean that the sexually immoral cannot find redemption in Christ. Many prostitutes came to him and entered the kingdom, but it does emphasize the gravity of the issue. This means that a Christian view of dating or courtship will have strict rules around the physical relationship. Now, I know uh, that recently many Christians have been critical of the purity movement of the evangelical church in the 90s. And from my understanding, the main problem with purity culture was that it suggested that sex itself was dirty, and so it made it difficult, especially for girls, to switch gears from feeling all this shame around the whole notion of sex to being you know, a sexually engaged wife. The solution to this problem is simply to talk about sex as often as it comes up as a family. If you're reading the Bible as a family, sex will come up all the time in the Bible. Don't waste those opportunities. And parents can repeatedly reiterate sex is a gift from God. It's a great blessing, but it must be uh, strictly be kept in the covenant of marriage. Otherwise, it becomes a curse. But at the same time, correcting this problem with purity culture does not mean that many of the constraints it placed around premarital intimacy should be loosened. One application of this for our family is that making out is not a recreational activity. Making out is how you get your body ready to have sex. So if you are not planning on having sex, this making out is not wise. You know, if a young man makes out with his girlfriend and it's testicles hurt after, this is a sign that his body was expecting to go further than it actually did. Most making out happens late at night in a parked car somewhere, so likely many of these kinds of situations are going to be off limits. This doesn't mean sex is dirty or bad or something never to speak about. One of the best things for an adolescent is to have a clear sense that my parents have an active sex life. If you have told them about sex being a gift from God and they see mom and dad hugging and kissing and flirting, they know sex is a blessing of marriage and I want that in my future. It will help them want to follow God's commands and this is by far the best guard against the problems of purity culture. Uh, Principle number seven, give enough time, especially for the weird to come out. Give enough time, especially for the weird to come out. 
uh, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This verse seems important in that it tells us we have some control over falling in love. Once it is stirred up or awakened, it will be very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle. But beforehand, we can be wise and say, I'm not going to stir up love before the right timing. For adolescence, that means there's going to be a, at least a, a five-year period and likely longer when they will not be able to stir up the desires that are beginning to form in them. This is uh, very consistent with the Christian life, which is often about waiting, trust God and wait. You know, Adam and Eve would have eventually been mature enough to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, see Hebrews 5.14, but instead of waiting, they took it for themselves and the results were disastrous. Because of the constraints on sexual intimacy before marriage, Christians can sometimes rush into marriage too quickly. It might be they are, are too young, a man is not ready yet to leave a family, that could be your becoming married too quickly, the man's not ready, or it could be they just can't wait to have sex, and so they rush a wedding date. It is true that the Bible says that dating, courtship, and engagement should not go on and on. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 9, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." But also, teens should only start dating when marriage is realistically in the not-too-distant future. If an adolescent is 14, a young marriage is five years away. There is no point in dating at that age. It is not time to stir up love, so don't do it. It is not ideal for dating and engagement to last more than a few years. But one thing we have thought, too, is that dating or courtship should be long enough for the weird to come out. When people start dating relationships, they're on their best behavior. There needs to be a level of comfortability after time that allows explosive anger or deception to come out. You should know the sins of your spouse before entering marriage. My wife knew my tendency toward depression before we were married. If the wedding day is three months after the day they met, this is likely too soon. And when the weird reveals itself, don't ignore it or explain it away. This all takes time, waiting, and the input and wisdom of others. If you're interested in more teaching on this topic, I have an old sermon on Ruth chapter 3 titled Falling in Love that hits on some similar themes. All this to say, the Lord is our shepherd. There is no way to engineer this process so that it goes perfectly to plan. But again, I would encourage parents to find older believers who have wisdom in this area, ask their advice, and heed it. There is grace along the way, grace for teens and young adults, and grace for parents. But through the process, parents and teens can relate in newer and more mature ways, and through these discussions, both find find themselves drawn closer to Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Renew Northwest podcast. If you have been blessed by this content, please leave us a review, like, and follow the show, or share this episode with friends or family whom you think would enjoy it. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at renewnorthwest.com.